Hello and welcome to Thank You Come Again. This is an e-commerce podcast sponsored by Wonderment, where we dive into the actual strategies that leading D2C brands are using to not only make their customers come back and buy again, but have the best possible customer experiences. I'm Blake and Burl. I started my career as a retention marketer, and now I'm focused on being a shepherd of knowledge for you and others on all things retention marketing. You won't find any top 10 guru guides here. Instead, I want you to walk away from each episode with battle-tested and actionable insights that's going to help you to move a needle forward and driving repeat business. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Thank You, Come Again. Today, you're going to be learning about how to turn customer returns into returning customers. While it's the hope of every DTC brand that we never have a customer return a product, we know that life happens. Maybe it was the wrong product, the wrong size, or maybe they just simply changed their mind. Returns and exchanges are often a make or break experience for consumers. You can get it right and bring the customer back for another purchase, or maybe potentially pay more to acquire a new one. Today, I am joined by a CX leader who is really at the forefront in creating better returns experiences for their customers, and that is Zoe Khan, Senior Associate of Customer Experience over at Chomps. Zoe, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me, Blake. I'm excited to dive into this topic. We've got some, uh, some even controversial things to talk about, too, so I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm doing well. Um, we're both in San Diego, which is cool. It's always great to you know get to talk to someone who's in the San Diego area. I was just talking to to Dan Brady from Pier Vida the other day. He's based in San Diego, um, so super cool to t- talk to people who are in, in my neck of the woods. Um, but so to tell our listeners maybe a little bit more about yourself, who who is Zoe Khan, and also could you give me give a big uh, brief intro to, to who Chomps is as well. Yes, of course. So yeah, uh, my name is Zoe Khan. I have been doing CX type things for the last. Um, I guess, like seven to eight years now. I uh, started uh, actually, I guess the first like uh, forefront of like service. I used to work at GNC in retail um, and learned a lot there about the customer always being right, especially in retail and being face-to-face. And then um, after GNC, I worked at Ghost, uh, the supplement brand, and I ran their customer support team. And that was a really a huge learning experience. I learned all about D2C, Shopify, all of the tools on like learning online. And um, after that, I took a little hiatus and I was just telling Blake that I um, game (laughs) and I streamed on Twitch for uh, six months full time. So I I did a little hiatus of just playing video games and that was amazing. And then (laughs) after that, I uh, started working at Chomps and I am like Blake said, I do the CX and some digital marketing for them as well. And Chomps, we sell better for you meat sticks. So beef, jer- kind of like beef jerky, but a, uh, it's in a stick. And uh, we sell at like Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, a ton of retailers, and then direct to consumer as well. Uh, if you are grocery shopping, you'll probably see us around. Uh, but we're a better for you snack and um, grass-fed beef no sugar, really great snack um, that makes you feel good. And yeah, I do uh, all the customer facing um, tasks here and improving processes. And then, like I said, digital marketing as well. Love it. I mean, that's an awesome background too. getting to kind of see it from, you know, GNC going to ghost. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think even too, I'm sure 
um, some of the streaming stuff probably has uh, an outlook on how you kind of see the world maybe and some of your creativity maybe as well. Yeah. Um, it's super cool too. I, I was shopping at Trader Joe's. I feel like every time I, I go there, I see Chomps and I'm just like, oh yeah, we, we work with that brand at Wonderman. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but also I know Austin Hutchinson, um, he's on our team. He was at Chomps for a while too. So yeah. a lot of connectedness to, uh, to Chomps, I think, in my, in my daily life, it seems like that's awesome. Yeah, Austin was awesome. He was there when I first started. He taught me a lot about the brand and we worked really closely. Austin's amazing. You guys are lucky. <laughs> we are definitely very lucky to have Austin. I, I echo that for sure. Um, well, I'm really excited to dive in to learn more about, you know, how you approach customer return and some of your kind of, um, you know, just kind of like spicy takes on things and learning kind of, I think, uh, a different side, I think, of returns. I, I think, you know, maybe to start the conversation. I, I love this. Maybe if you could give an overview, like what is the chomps return policy? Like maybe just set the stage for kind of like how you work in that. And then maybe we can kind of pack in um, some questions around that as well. Yeah, of course. So the return policy on paper, which we'll get into like the difference between like on paper and then like what we actually accept and stuff. But uh, right now we actually recently changed it from like a 30 day trying period to a 45 day. And I can kind of dive into that as well of why. Um, but if a customer doesn't enjoy chumps within that 45 day uh, period, they can reach out to us and uh tell us and we can either exchange it or give them a refund uh, because ultimately we want the customer to just enjoy the product and have a snack that they like. And if they don't like it, we'd like to get them a different flavor that they do like, or, and if that, if they don't even want to try another flavor, that's fine too. They're, we're just not the right brand for them. And we want to still make them happy. They're still a person and we care about them. So um, giving them a refund isn't a big deal. We still want to give a good impression for them. Nice. And so I'm curious to like what, so you mentioned, you know, switching from 30 to 45 days, what kind of went into that decision process? Uh, we actually did it to be more competitive. So uh, I think it was the, the biggest one on there was um, uh, Amazon uh, and competing with third party people who were uh, unauthorized to sell our products. Um, we wanted to be able to uh, compete with them um, because their return policy was 45 days. And we, uh, in getting into that type of like policy talk, if someone was to reach out to us at 31 days when our policy was 30, we wouldn't say no, you know? So like, it wasn't a big deal to go in and update our macros and our, um, our FAQs on our site to say, this is our new return policy is 45 days. And we edited some, um, verbiage around that, uh, so that's all it, it was. It was more of like a competitive thing. We want to make sure that like people want are comfortable reaching out to us and we um w and want to buy directly from us. Got it. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know. Also, you know, kind of having to compete with some of the pressure from you know uh, a wholesaler like Amazon as well, and the kind of that um you know, obviously too. I think and we'll we'll probably dive into this a little bit more, but also kind of creating more flexibility for the customer as well and kind of assurance too. Um, so. I know when you and I started talking over email, uh, it feels like a couple months back now when we were talking about what we could talk about here, you had pitched me this idea of like returns and, and turning them into returning customers. And I absolutely loved that idea. Um, and super curious to just kind of understand a little bit more of that now. So can you talk me through like, how do you approach customer returns and how are you trying to retain customers when they come in during, I think what is a pretty uh, make or break opportunity for them to either, you know, love the brand or walk away from the brand, I think. 
Yeah. It's an interesting concept because we, when someone reaches out to you and they don't like their product, your product, um, and this goes for any brand, it's kind of hard to deal with because you're like, this is, how can you not like it? It's a perfect product. Like you, you, if you like it, like, or if I like it, why don't you like it? And, um, sometimes support reps or, um, people in CX can take it a little bit personal. Um, <laughs> and just, almost assume that they've lost that customer already um, because they didn't like the product. But everybody's different and everyone likes different things, especially when you have a product that's um, consumable and has taste. Everybody's taste buds are different. Everyone likes different things. Uh, so it's really just taking like listening to that customer reading like truly reading their email and like figuring out why they didn't like it and taking that feedback uh and even using that feedback to shape your brand which we can like dive into more but sure. uh using that feedback instead of just being like like angry with the customer because they didn't like something or like uh sometimes people are just feel like they're just trying to like returns are people trying to take advantage of the brand, which isn't true 99.9% uh, .9 of the time. But uh, yeah, using just listening to the customer and instead of just shutting it down, really just trying to figure out a, a best solution for them, whether it's exchanging or giving them their money back because they didn't like your product. Today's episode of the Tega Podcast is brought to you by Wonderment, the easiest way to proactively set expectations on shipping timeframes, automatically update customers with delays, and measure shipping expectation versus reality across the business. Wonderment is a retention Swiss Army knife used by hundreds of leading Shopify merchants, including The Ridge, Boxu, Igloo, Feastables, Jones Road Beauty, and more. Whether you're looking to improve your customer experience, retention marketing, or both, Wondermint will turn your post-purchase shipping experiences into a channel that helps to bring your customers back again and again. Tyka podcast listeners can receive a free trial of Wondermint by visiting wondermint.com slash demo and let them know that Blake sent you. And now, back to the show. I think that's a really uh, interesting point too, to, to think about. You know, obviously... As a brand, you want to assume your product is great and in a vacuum, no one would ever want to return it, but they're going to love it. It's going to be, you know, the best experience. But also, yeah, I mean, like, especially with a consumable product, um, you know, it can be up to, you know, even someone's ex just kind of preferences with it, too. Um, you mentioned sort of like then this listening. What 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 does that kind of entail? Like, how do you think about when you're working with customers who come to return a product, maybe like how, what does it decision tree kind of look like? Are there kind of outcomes that you're looking for that are going to be beneficial to chomps, but also then beneficial to the customer? Like how do you sort of approach that line of like, you want to save the customer hopefully, but you also really want to also make sure that they you know, get the outcome that they're looking for too. Yeah, it comes down to really uh, listening and reading and understanding why they didn't like the product because uh, like, for chomps, for example, it's if someone tried the the turkey sticks and different flavors in that and didn't like like the texture, the consistency, um, maybe offering them to try the one of our our beef or our venison um, because you can and learning those things and with any brand too, just learning the trends of like oh if someone doesn't like this they actually usually like this. So let me, let me make it up to them and having a variety too of different things that they can try. Uh, and sometimes we even will, if a customer is like really upset for whatever reason, uh, that they didn't like it, uh, maybe it's like a one-off and 
I don't know, something went wrong, even going as far as like sending them a trial pack so they can try a couple different uh, products and taking that feedback and really making note of it and finding trends of what people are saying. Because if I always think about too, the customers who don't want to bother support teams or don't want to bother the, the, the companies and just never buy again. And then also might even like tell their friends not to buy, you know, I tried that and I didn't like it. And they might, I I wonder what the percentage is almost, it's impossible to like find out, but there's probably a large percentage that that happens too. So we always try to keep that in mind as well. Like if customers are coming to us with this feedback, there's probably a whole other half of customers who are having that same feedback, but aren't reaching out to us. So really like listening to that and shaping the next like innovation based on those, that feedback, uh, that's super important, but it is just really listening and like finding trends in customers reaching out to us. Totally. And I, I think the conversation's kind of headed in this way. I'd love to kind of dive into to feedback now a little bit. Um, I was talking to Ash from Avi the other week yeah. and he was, he was telling kind of a similar thing. It's like, Hey, like a lot of times you need to focus on, there's a lot of customers who will just remain silent, even if they had a bad experience. I typically tend to be one of those consumers. Like I'm, I'm busy. I don't really want to reach out. I'm just like, Hey, this was a bad experience. I'll probably just, you know, not come back again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate to say that cause I'm, you know, I'm such a, a D to C evangelist. I feel like it's kind of, uh, maybe a little bit taboo to admit that, but I think it's like something that is really common. I think with a lot of consumers is they just don't raise their hand because they just sometimes don't feel like they might be heard. And so what I'm hearing in, and it's definitely something that, you know, Ash was mentioning and now you're mentioning too, is like, taking that feedback and then actually going and improving the experience for, you know, if it's not that customer for future customers. So how do you collect feedback number one, but then two, like, how do you then go take all that feedback and actually make action happen then? Yeah. It's so interesting that you brought that up because I was actually talking to Ash and Ron like months ago about the same topic with Avi and they were telling me some feedback they were getting was like, it's um, sometimes it would be like too sweet. And Mm -hmm. so we were having a conversation. They were like, do we, do you think we should just like give them another suggestion or should we dig dig into this? And I'm like, you should like, everyone should, you should dig into any feedback that you get because uh, you never know. And really even like going back to your product and like tasting it with like a blind eye or having someone else taste it with a blind eye that like doesn't eat it all the time or consume it all the time is like, and getting like real feedback from people maybe who have never tried it before. Cause it's the same thing with anything you do. If you do it a lot, you kind of get like desensitized to it and uh, yeah, just taking that feedback. But as far as collecting it, um, we use, we use gorgeous for our like help center and mm-hmm. a tagging process to do some of this. And then uh, I actually like our team, I love doing this. It's kind of tedious, but we, any feedback that we get, especially if it's like some type of manufacturer, I don't want to say defect because it's never really like a defect, but it's like um, just sometimes like if the texture is off or maybe it's too spicy and we we always want to just not just assume that the customer, it's not their, their like favorite flavor. We just want to assume that let's track all of this and like track it down to the lot number. You know, if someone... Mm-hmm 
someone has a has feedback for us that they didn't like something, let's like look at all those lot numbers and just make sure that they compare to like our our product is consistent. Uh, and that happens a lot with like consumables. It's um, it's harder than like you'd think to make a consistent product like it's same every single time. Like it it varies a little bit because of raw ingredients being different and. Um, we, it's really important to have a consistent product because you want a customer to know that they can come back to a product and like it every time. Um, so we track things down to the lot information and then it's the specific, we, we basically have a umbrella of different kind of like complaints or feedback that customers bring us. And so we'll log it under that like umbrella. And then if something's outside of that umbrella, we will, um, put like notes on that. And then just all we, we actually do like a feedback loop of bringing all this information to our um, innovation team and our, our manufacturer team and meet with them at least once a month. Um, if something weird is going on and we're getting like a lot of complaints from so-and-so or which flavor, we'll do it a little bit more often um, because we want to get in at the front of things before um, like so that we can fix it if it is a problem. Um, and or if we are innovating a new flavor or trying to improve a flavor, we want to be able to use that feedback to make those decisions on innovation. Totally. That's uh, that's really great points, too. I think and like yeah, something I didn't consider as well, but I'm sure it's you know, especially important with consumables is to be able to identify if there is an issue, like let's try to figure out exactly where that issue is and try to make that experience better as soon as possible. Um, and it sounds like it's a lot of back and forth communication then between what you're hearing out there and then taking that to the innovation team, other parts of chomps and making sure that, you know, whether it's the product or even like stuff on site with the messaging or all of that stuff. Um, is, is it sort of like a continuous cycle then that you're just continuously trying to make sure that you're informing the rest of the business really then on what you're hearing and then let's take action on that? Yeah, communication is so important and it's hard to get down because everybody is doing their own thing and moving forward and like doing the next step, the next step, the next step. But uh, so it is really important to have that good communication. You don't want someone from your dev team or a founder to look at like a Instagram comment about a complaint and then go to you and say, hey, have you heard this before? And you say, yeah, that's we've had... 50 customers reach out about that and they say, well, why didn't you tell me? You know, so like, I think I said this recently, um, I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but you, your founders, if your companies want to hear your, the, this feedback from the consumers and they're so, a lot of times they're detached from it because there's so much going on. And so it's really important for like support teams and customer experience to like, to track these things, find trends and speak up and, Sometimes it can be very scary in the CX world because it's not always made as like this glamorous position, but it sure. really truly is. Like if you are on a support team or CX and you're able to gather this information and even if you don't have a one-on-one -on -one, like meeting with someone, but if you can send out an email to like your leaders on your, on your team and say, these are the things that we've been hearing, just thought I'd put it out there. Like that you put, bring so much value to yourself by doing that. Uh, and the founders and the leadership team want to hear these things because they want to make sure that they retain the customers and acquire new customers because they have great products. I think that's a really great point. And it's so um, important, I think, to just like 
take a step back sometimes and realize the impact that you know a, a function like CX has in the whole business. I think we've been we've been talking about this. I think throughout this conversation, but it's like I'm hearing it more and more from other you know CX leaders as well. Is they're really trying to make it known to their teams too and empowering others that you have a voice and this is really you're interacting with the end user of his product you know more so than even the founders are sometimes and to be yep. able to relay that feedback back is it looks great for obviously you the individual but also for the company to be able to really make change happen um, and one thing that we, we didn't touch on but i wanted to come back to kind of uh, go a little bit uh, in, in a different direction but i i one thing that I've always been fascinated by with, you know, consumable products is obviously like when you return a consumable, it can't be used again. Often, oftentimes even like, you know, non-consumables have the same, you know, fate as well. But why have you invested so much in offering like a generous returns policy? You mentioned 45 days. Um, what, what's kind of the thought process behind um, leading with some, some kind of value like that for a customer? Yeah. And I can speak on this on a couple different levels. Because at Chomps, we can, like, because they're singly, singularly packaged, if someone tries one or two, they can return the rest and, like, we can still eat them, you know, like, we can, uh, we have them sent to, like, our HQ and as long as there's not, like, any, like, damages to the product, we can repurpose them for, like, donations or we can eat them internally. So it's a little bit different for us. We can't sell them or we wouldn't sell them, but... Sure. Um, they're not like completely going to waste. Um, and we do, we try to do a lot of things for like donating and stuff for product that's like not exactly perfect, but it's still safe to eat. Um, so we don't want food to go to waste, but we, I, at ghost, we, you can't really like, if someone tries a product and you, they, they open the, and the seal is broken, um, that you can't resell that and you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat that or use it. Uh, so it is a little bit different depending on where, what the products are, but it's still, so your like margins of losing that, that sale is makes up for the experience of people being able to tell their friends that the service was so good and that they let me exchange it for something else. You make up for it in the long run, especially going back to the, the theme of this this episode, those, if you allow a return a lot of times, and if your experience is good with that return, they'll become returning customers, especially sure. if you find a product for them that does work for them. And so just like take the loss of that, like open product, like it's really not a big deal. Um, if you look at the numbers for longevity, like lifetime value of that customer, it's just, it's almost like giving a sample, you know, um, you invest money into sampling. So you might as well just chalk up the the loss of one product and find, find a, a solution that works for that consumer. And then even from there, they can, if you, they have a really good experience, they will tell their friends and it'll uh, turn out to be better in the long run. Yeah. I think uh, the power of experience is immense and that, and, and like, even, you know, if it's a, uh, the first situation that they have is not the ideal experience if they come and reach out and they have a great experience during that process. I think also, even if they realize, you know, maybe the product wasn't for them, um, if they had a great experience, I've heard a lot of times, you know, and seen it, I mean, even referring business to like friends and family, like, Hey, this wasn't for me, but it, they had a really great experience and um, you might like the product as well. So I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, inherent benefits to that. And I remember, um, I was working with a brand before I jumped into SaaS uh, called auto brush and we sold like, 
uh, oral hygiene products. And so they sold like toothpaste, floss, things that we couldn't return at all. And once it was used, it was like, um, our approach was always like, Hey, you know, like, let's make it right. Let's get feedback. Let's try to recommend another product. But also like, um, if you just didn't like the product, maybe gift it to somebody that you have in your family or try to find a better, you know, outcome for it too. I think there's a lot of creative approaches, um, to finding the ideal solution for a customer. And it sounds like a lot of it's just creativity, but also listening, like you said, too. Oh yeah. That's a really good point. The gifting. Cause yeah, like you said, it, someone else might like it and if they're not going to use it, why, why let it go to waste? Totally. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch on while we're kind of still on the topic of sort of like generally returns right here is, um, you had mentioned to me that you don't use a returns solution. And I know like a lot of folks, um, you know, uh, not, not to name names, I think there's a lot of great platforms out there for this, but like a lot of folks are like, oh, like we need a return solution to do returns now. It has to be done through technology. I'm curious why you have chosen not to use a return solution and sort of what, um, what's sort of been like the process then that you kind of take to doing that? Yes, I love this topic. I have had the hardest time trying to, I'm, I don't not like them. Like I don't hate return solutions, but I've been, ha I've had the hardest time trying to make it make sense because uh, I think for certain brands, it makes sense. And if you do it right, it makes sense. So I think for things like apparel, uh, where there's different sizes and people want to exchange and return just because like they got the wrong size and they want like that. And there's so many returns based on that. And sometimes the returns aren't necessarily things that you um, always can take that feedback and improve from. It's just like a, like a consumer kind of like mistake rather mm -hmm. than a manufacturing type mis mistake or like something that can improve. But for me, the solutions out there right now don't have the best feedback loop. Uh, you can return, you can collect all that data of like why people returned, but the process of like people clicking through and like being like, this is why I returned doesn't compare to them explaining in an email their exact experience. And it takes away that experience too, where our like very humanized, not robotic uh, experience like associates can communicate with these customers. To me, I haven't been able to like chalk it up and like replace that experience part. Our feedback loop would be so different if we didn't have that experience part and we just had the maybe the top reasons of returns. Uh, and we wouldn't get like if something was like a one off where the texture was off for some reason or it was too spicy, that wouldn't be like a top reason of return, right? Because it would be a one off. So sure. it's using that feedback and having that actual con conversation and experience with each individual customer. Those customers, I I personally think those are the most valuable customers to your your brand. So to take out that like step of talking to them, to me, can, can damage your brand a little bit. Um, like I said, depending on every situation, but if it's something where you like, if you can just take that feedback and really like, instead of just putting a bandaid on it and like, it's like kind of like that thing where people think that CX is like a money hole. Like you want the smallest team and blah, blah, blah. Like you don't want to put uh, hire more agents because they're not bringing in revenue. So mm -hmm. if you, if you think about it differently, where like 
these returns can be returning customers, then the, the feed or the return solutions, just like thinking about it differently for me, I, I just think that it's hard to make up for that. And I think there, there will be like, I'll come around one day and there will be like a better solution, but I've done like so many demos and I'm just like such a weirdo about, I'm like, well, okay, what about, what if this, this, that, and that, and I haven't been able to get all my answers or my questions answered to like my pickiness yet. So I'm just like, let's just do it in house. It's so valuable to take all this feedback. And, uh, the other thing is, uh, the difference between like a, a manufacturer issue and just someone not liking your product, somebody might come to you for a return for like a, a maybe a defect, but it would just be a, come in as a return, like as if they maybe that didn't like that product. And mm -hmm. then how do you how do you differentiate from like that and someone maybe just not liking the flavor and then fixing things before they become an actual problem? Like that's that's where it, it's hard for me to to do these solutions that's super insightful to hear you kind of walk through that and I, I i tend to agree with what you're saying as well is that like it's um these are make or break moments and to just automate that entire experience while i know for certain brands of scale and size or maybe they like you mentioned like clothing or things like that it, it could it could make sense like in, a, in an industry like cpg where there's so many different things that also come into play it's like you want to be having conversations you want to be probing and understanding and also, you know, I think tend typically like not treating a customer like a decision tree almost like you can kind of figure out like what is really the, the core issue that that's, um, you know, they're facing and then see how you can overcome or provide a resolution to that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if like that decision has sort of impacted how the CX team is like structured or like like response times or anything like that. Has it, has it been fairly steady? Like I, I would I would imagine that can take time to have these conversations. I'm just curious if there's been any any, any impact there, if at all. Yeah, for sure. I think if we have a return solution, our response times and our resolution times would definitely go down. But at the same time, the value that you get from spending that time on these consumers is worth it just from everything we talked to talked about before. Um, it, I think that the KPIs and like the CX world are need, need to be relooked at. And, uh, I think that D to C is understanding this more, but it like the resolution time, if you don't have to have the, like a two minute resolution time, like that's kind of ridiculous. I actually would prefer you not to have a two minute resolution time because you are not building connections with your consumers and if you can just look at your CX team as also a revenue driver rather than a um, just a Band-Aid and fixing like issues, then you can have some leeway in your KPIs. Uh, I don't care if a customer, if it takes someone two days to, to fix a resolution, if it's a meaningful conversation and that customer is going to come back again. Uh, so the KPIs are very interesting and I don't think companies should just like look at the umbrella of these KPIs. They should dive into these issues. And the, that's, I always have a hard time uh, answering that question of like, how, how quick should my, what should my, our resolutions time? What's a good benchmark for our resolution times? Because it's so, it takes, every business is so different. And I think that the key to it, instead of, uh, 
like getting rid of these, these processes in house. I think the key to it is reducing that back and forth and collecting all the information from the customer before they reach out and finding mm -hmm. ways to do that. That's what's, what can improve your resolution time. Not just getting rid of, like not just trying to get those customers not to reach out to you. That's a very great call out. Um, and I think something that I, uh, tend to think that like isn't talked about enough is everyone just like reduce 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 at all mm -hmm. costs and what you're saying makes a lot of sense is it's like oftentimes like if 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 i am reaching out to somebody for help and their goal is to get me off the chat as soon as humanly possible um i'm probably not going to feel good about that yeah. experience you know and, and i think that um that's what i'm hearing from you is like hey like you know even if it takes a little longer it's if it's the right outcome if it's the right conversation you're getting the right feedback and at the end of the day chomps and the customer feel happy that's what's most important to creating that customer uh the opportunity for them to come back and buy again is that they had that great outcome yeah it's interesting because we at chomps we want our customers to reach out to us like we don't want more issues but we want them to come to us give us feedback talk to us connect with us so you'll see like even on our packaging it'll say like have feedback, whatever, or do you want to just say hi, email us. Like we want to hear, we're not trying to reduce tickets in a way where like we want to fix uh, issues and want to make sure that we're getting to the root of any type of issue that's coming through, but we still want to talk to our consumers. Uh, we get so much value out of just communicating and building connection with our consumers. So for us, and I think that any D2C, any D2C company should be doing the same thing because it's just, it's almost like looking at it as like a, a Instagram comment, like sure. you want engagement. So why not have engagement with your team? And it's okay to like put some money behind that because it's so valuable for retention. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think you're bringing up incredibly valuable point, and valuable points here. We, we came here for returns conversation. Now we're really talking about a lot of this really true points that you're making is like, um, it goes back to what you're saying too about, you know, customer service being a revenue driving channel as well, relationship driving channel, all of these things that can be, you know, uh, products of customer experience is that um, you can really have those meaningful conversations and and not look at um, you know, how can we just lower, you know, first response time? How can we just, you know, like provide, um, you know, blanket responses, all these different things that I feel like has kind of been, you know, happening. Um, in, and you're seeing a lot of folks put content out around is just reducing at all costs, it seems like. Um, so incredibly valuable points, I think you're bringing up. And I'm curious that if you could now kind of maybe think about a world that like, I've talked a lot about how to handle, you know, the return process and sort of like what good and great looks like. Can you minimize returns at all further? And like, if so, like what sort of steps matter to, to do something like that? Yes. And this is actually, I do some consulting too on the side for fun because I love it. But um, that's actually one of the biggest, like the top questions is like looking at this return process. And a lot of companies struggle with that uh that feedback of like organizing the feedback and, and reducing that return rate because you do, while you want to um, still have conversations with the customer, you do want to reduce that return rate, that percentage. So compared to how much you're selling and how many people are returning. And there's a lot of ways you can do it. Uh, my first like actual feedback would be to really dive in and figure out the reasons why those umbrella statements and mm -hmm. figure out 
the top reasons why people are returning and see if you can fix that. So in a lot of times you can, and it helps with that going back to like that innovation, um, looking at that, those top reasons of returns and just really diving into it and putting yourself into the customer's uh, shoes and like going through that whole experience uh, as if you're a customer um, and like having a blind eye and just putting yourself in their shoes and, and just going down the list of this is, this is the reason why this was returned. Can we fix it? Are there things we can do in the future to prevent it? And if, as you go through those pro those steps, you will reduce your return rate, your return percentage. That's really important. I think also, yeah, like experiencing how the customer would experience the product, the site, all these different things. And like, um, I know a lot of times, like I, I see it often, like people are like, Hey, like, just a reminder every 30 days or every 15 days, like shop your site, try the product, yes. make sure you have all these different things so that you don't get so far removed um, from the experience that like you're scratching your head. If it's like, well, why are returns up or why are we getting increases in, you know, complaints, whatever that is. And oftentimes it seems um, to be the most fundamental things often get overlooked. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, folks typically will then will run to, um, you know, the most, you know, creative ideas, but really it seems pretty, um, you know, foundational to just experience and make sure you're um, consistent with what you're, you're putting out in the world as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's awesome. I, um, I definitely think I've learned a lot. I think about just sort of how to even think about this a little bit more at a uh, holistic level, but I wanted to transition to um, as we kind of, you know, wrap up to something that I was reading recently, Eli Weiss, um, if anyone doesn't know, puts out a great newsletter, you should all subscribe to. It has a That's lot of, awesome, awesome CX insights, but he was talking about how to navigate customer policies. And, and he said, create baseline policies, but arm your emotionally intelligent team with the ability to side both ways when necessary. Read between the lines and make sure you do what it takes to turn potential super fans into lifelong fans, but don't let go of your margins to refund folks you'll never see again, regardless. Um, what do you think about this, Zoe? What would you, would you bend the returns policy for any customers? Yes, not not every customer, but any customer. Yes, uh, he Eli has such a great word, way with words. He's like my mentor, role model. Love him. Um, but yes, agreed. So you, uh, it's so hard because when you think about CX and new people in CX, and you're training the people, and maybe depending on your leadership or the the team that you're on, it could be different. But a good experience team has that ability to read between the lines because you will bend policies to make customers happy. And I think everyone knows this too. It's like, if, if you go to a, a, a brand's return policy page and you read it and you're, you just like don't fit in and you're like, I think they, they should make an exception because of this. They probably will. And the return policy is there for, Couple, couple different reasons so that a customer has a baseline to go off of. But a lot of times just with like everything we touched on and when we said in the beginning, if our return policy is 45 days and someone reaches out at 46 days, like we're not going to turn them away. We're not going to say, no, this is 45 days. But if a customer buys something last year and comes back and says, oh, I don't like it and I actually ate them all. Like we're, we're probably not, that's the customer that won't, you won't ever see again that Eli was talking about. Or if I will not, and I will, I will not 
let this happen to my team. If somebody is swearing at my support team or being rude, we don't even want you as a customer. And I'm not right. even mad about it. Like, So if, if, if th those are, those things are happening, then we're not going to bend the rules. But if you're a genuine good human and you, we think that like, even I might even go a little bit as farther if we don't think that customer is going to shop with us again, but just think about like the way they're communicating with us. We still might honor something just because like we were saying uh, the friends and family thing and the good mm -hmm. experience. So even if that I might bend that a little bit and I think Eli would agree. Um, but yeah, totally agree. That's a great way. And arming your, your team with that, empowering them to make those decisions uh, because new, new CX people might be like, oh, this is the return policy. I can't bend it. So truly t teaching them that it's okay to bend the rules. Um, that's really important in that training process for your team. I think that's great. Uh, great, a great way to think about it is like, yeah, you know, use these as kind of guardrails, but then having those sort of, uh, you know, abilities to, you know, go one way or the other. Um, and that was one question I actually had for you too, is like, are there times where you even fire a customer who, you know, is using inappropriate language or, you know, putting um, the brand, you know, on the hot seat for, uh, you know, un maybe unquantified reasons. I, like, I know that that is something I'm seeing more and more now too, is it's like, um, you know, also just having that sort of outlook on it is, is important. Um, but I think all, all really, really great points. This has been awesome to kind of chat through everything with you, Zoe. I really appreciate um, this. And I, as we look to... 2023 here. I'm curious, um, what's one bold prediction that you have for customer experience in 2023? This is such a great question. Uh, I think that it's going to become more and more of a, a retention and revenue driver and people are going to start continuing to see that. I think we saw like a little glimpse of it this year. Um, but I think that companies are going to start seeing the value more of the value of NCX teams and empowering them and treating them like a real part of like either their marketing or ops team and finding that value uh, rather than just paying them minimum wage and using them as like VAs who just are low hanging fruit or doing low hanging fruit type things. Sure. Uh, and even uh, going as far as like when we talk about retention and customer experience, but then also the like the molding of retention and acquisition, even though they're kind of opposite. But uh, I think that uh, there's going to be more focus on it because yes, you acquire a customer, but then you ret the retention of that customer. It's like merging those. I think that it's going to be completely different in 2023 with the, the, the paid media still like being crazy expensive and the cost of acquiring a customer. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge change in 2023 that the entire retention and acquisition and involving customer experience in all of it. Yeah, I think that's a great prediction. It's something that I'm thinking about as well is that, um, you know, does the CX team having, you know, I think has always had a seat at the table, but I feel like now it's like, this is really a, a team that is doing a lot of amazing things. And, and now even looking further is like, we talked about, you know, opportunities to drive revenue, you know, build customer relationships that turn into, you know, higher LTV, all of these yeah. different things that CX has always been doing, but I think putting a spotlight on it more as well. And as I've talked to more folks in the space, it's definitely things they're thinking about. 
um, as well. But I think also I just had a really insightful conversation with Joanne and Eli from Jones Road Beauty. And mm -hmm. we were talking about some of that as well. And, and sort of like this sort of melding of retention and CX. And I actually think there's an argument to be made that those should just kind of be one team and, and really have a lot of there's a lot of overlap, I think, um, in kind of what you touched on as well. Um, but definitely things to think about and, and look out for. I think it's 2023 for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure if you so we did this exercise, we've been doing this for the last couple of months, but pulling that LTV from our uh, people who interact with us, it's if your business has great customer experience, you'll see that the LTV is higher compared to the other like just your normal customer who doesn't reach out. And it's very interesting. So I think that giving the CX team those tools to look at that LTV and look at the revenue, it'll empower them so much more and then put so much value behind your team and show like everyone that they are a very important um, seat at the table. 100%. That's, that's a great call out to be able to even tie that back and, and tag and look and, and see, you know, that impact as well. Um, are you tagging folks as they go through this returns process too? And they're, and they're chatting with, with CX. Is that something that you're looking at and seeing if there's an impact on LTV of the customer, if they come back and, you know, start that buying cycle again, is that something that you're measuring? Yeah. So we actually use, uh, I use it, it. It's like a little bit of a, it's kind of confusing, but we, pull lists into Clavio because Clavio can uh, integrate with Gorgeous and you can uh, create customers who have reached out for via Gorgeous. And then mm -hmm. I get rid of anybody who hasn't spent money because we get a lot of like spam or um, donation requests, partnership outreach. So I get rid of like $0 customers. So I look at the customers who have spent money who have reached out to us on Gorgeous and pull a list on Clavio. And then uh, I use a tool called Lifetimely to pull uh, that list into the LTV or to see the cohorts of those. And then I compare that to our regular, like every, um, just a customer who hasn't reached out to us. And that's how I uh, measure it. Nice. That's great. Yeah. I, all those, all those tools I definitely think are fantastic to be able to measure that and then also look at and draw the correlation too. like you're mentioning kind of creating the story. I think of really the value that CX has always been driving, but being able to look at it now and having tools to be able to do that is super impactful. Um, well, Zoe, look, I, I know we could chat for, for forever yeah. about this. I super appreciate um, all of this as well. And I think before I let you go, I know you uh, you had some exciting news recently about a podcast with Jess oh, from Peaceable. Yeah. So I uh, would love for you to kind of chat about what that's what we can expect and when that should uh, should be dropping. Oh my gosh, yes! I um, thank you for bringing that up. We're so excited. So yeah, Jess and I um, from Peacefuls, we actually uh, so Eli and I started a CX Friends Discord um, a little over a year now, I think or maybe it was just about a year ago. Uh, and Jess and I met through there. She's CX, had a CX at Feastables. And we actually were nominated. For, we were both like nominated for the CX, uh, what was the title? Sorry, CX Operator of the Year. So we were like rivals in it, but rooting for each other. And so we just got like kind of close. And um, yeah, I don't know, six, eight months later, now we're starting a podcast together. And it's called Oopsie. Um, oopsie podcast and we're actually going to talk about just mistakes that you um, have that just inevitably happen in the d2c world and what we've learned from them and we're going to have different guests on in the d2c world that have just experienced mistakes and um, 
we're just hoping to bring like light to the conversation and laugh about like things that probably you could have cried about at the time <laughs> and what you learned from it and what procedures and processes you put in place to make sure it never happens again. Uh, so we're really excited though. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm super excited about that. And that's an amazing topic. I feel like there's so much uh, content around wins and, and things that have been gone really well. But like, I mean, for every great, you know, thing, there's, uh, you know, many mistakes or learnings along the way, if you, if you could, you look at it either way, but um, moments of just learning. And I think to be able to have, you know, a, a podcast devoted just to that D to C wise is awesome. So I, I will definitely be listening as this episode is drop. When, when can we expect those to drop? Uh, t early 2023 is going to be okay. our first episode. Yeah. And we're excited to bring that like vulnerability to the, the space too, because you, you think that like you listen to these podcasts and you see these successes and you just assume that everyone's doing everything right, but you don't hear about the, the losses and the fails yeah. along the way. So just showing and every single, if you were to talk to any of these founders or successful brands, there's been mess ups. <laughs> there's been mess ups that they just had to get up and keep going. So yeah, just bringing vulnerability to the space and we're excited. Yeah. Early 2023. Awesome. Love it. Uh, is there anywhere that we can go to subscribe or get on the, the list or where can we, uh, where can we anticipate this dropping? Yeah. Follow our Twitter oopsie podcast. And then we have an Instagram as well, but we're probably going to be posting like most of the news on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, oopsie just spelled O O P S I E. That's the first time I spelled oopsie out loud. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, did I spell that right? Uh, so oopsie podcast and you can find us on Twitter. Very cool. I will link out to that in the show notes. Um, definitely very, very eager for that to drop. Um, and Zoe, again, I really appreciate it. This has been awesome just to kind of see your, your view on the world, but also really how you're taking um, an issue like returns and really turning into, I think, a massive you know driver of value for Chomps and for the customers of Chomps. as well. So